Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Fading shot. Up. Good for Giannis at the buzzer. Bucks win it. To Locked On Bucks. I'm your host, Kane Pittman, alongside the founder of Brewhoop.com and longtime voice of the podcast, Frank Madden, as our award conversation are going to continue right now as we speak. The NFL draft is on, but I'm recording this podcast because I don't care less about football anymore. The second the Texans traded DeAndre Hopkins, I lost all interest in the NFL, so I don't even care. I'm going to talk about Defensive Player of the Year, I'm going to talk about Rookie of the Year, and also Sixth Man of the Year on today's pod. And uh, Frank, I think we can start with Defensive Player of the Year. And in the end, I think it's going to come down to a conversation between a couple of guys, or I think, and you might have different opinion with this, between Anthony Davis and obviously Giannis. Uh, I, I want to start with the third guy that I had. And I'm, I'm fully ready for people to hit me with the, the Homer call here. Totally fine with that. I went with my countryman, Ben Simmons, a guy that gets criticized a lot mm. for the way he plays basketball. But the one thing you can never doubt with Ben Simmons is that he is elite defensively. His ability to defend one through four. I mean, you talk about guys that can uh, fit a modern defense in various situations. I mean, he's seen as a ball handler. On offense, and a point guard, I guess, if that's the term you want to use. But defensively, this guy is dynamic. Leads the league in steals, second in deflections, third in loose balls, recovered. Uh, ben Simmons is a terror defensively. Yeah, he's interesting because um, I, I feel like, you know, if, if, I didn't, if I hadn't really thought about it much, like I, I always thought he would be really good and versatile on, like, forwards. Um, yeah. And I didn't expect him to be so good against smaller players like literally like he can defend point guards and shooting guards um and his ability to pressure and harass guys really far from the basket who are who are much smaller than him going and pick and roll things like that um that's the thing that kind of has jumped out to me the most watching him the past couple of years um so yeah i mean on the one hand i think the thing i struggle with here is you know i don't think he's even the best defensive player on his own team i think yeah, Embiid yeah. is kind of the the fulcrum of, of that defense. Um, also, I, I guess he played 54 games this year, so it's not like he missed. You know, he, he ended up playing a, a pretty large chunk of, uh, of, their, uh, of their season, even though you know, it seemed like he was going to miss, um, obviously, a lot, of, uh, a lot of the season there towards the end. That's good. Um, but, yeah, I mean, he's, he's definitely a, a tremendous defensive player. Um, you know, looking at, at some of the numbers, Sixers were 1.4 points uh, per possession better with him on on the floor than off defensively. So and again, that that isn't like a perfect stat or anything like that. Um, but uh, you know, something I always like to look at just because um, it, it's kind of an easy, intuitive kind of way to to look at it. And I think I, I have those numbers for the other guys that um, that I, I I've got on my list, um, and I think it tells a big part of the story. And, and just for reference, Embiid Sixers were eight points per one hundred better defensively with him on the court. So. Um, so that would be probably my biggest argument against Ben Simmons, but, um, 
you know, I, I thought when you were saying you're going to be a homer, I thought you were going to, you were going to bring up Brooke Lopez, but um, <laughs> I, uh, I, 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 I'm happy to talk about Brooke Lopez. I, yeah. I actually had, I had four guys. I did not have uh, Ben Simmons. Do you want to, do you want to just run down your list or how do you want to, how do you want to go through it? Cause I had four guys that I, I think I have an order for. Uh, I think it's going to be different than, than your order probably. Um, but uh, if you want to go first, then I can, I can give you mine. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I had Simmons obviously third there and I, I really did want to get a, a guard and I, and I guess using the term guard for Ben Simmons is kind of, you know, whatever. I mean, if you want to call him a guard, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's, that's one of the difficult things uh, with modern basketball, but I, I wanted a guy that could defend small guys uh, in my list. So I had Simmons three and then two and two and one. I, I had Davis two, then Giannis one. So I know we're going to get to those guys. So uh, I'm happy for you to, to run through. Uh, I guess it, maybe the other two guys that you had that, that I did. Yeah. So, um, so I actually had Anthony Davis fourth. Um, okay. And, and, and the, why don't we talk about Davis and then I can give you, you can, I, I, well, then I'm going to ask you who you think I have at two and three. Uh, but um, a hint, it's not Ben Simmons or, or Joel Embiid <laughs> for that matter. But um, let's talk about Anthony Davis. So Davis, I would say is um, obviously supremely talented, talented defensive player. I think relative to some of the centers that normally get brought up in these discussions, uh, you know, him and Giannis are, um, you can't play them off the floor, right? Like, I think that's what's so appealing to them about the modern, in, in the modern game, um, they are guys that will always have a role defensively because of uh, their, again, obviously their defensive instincts and what they bring with their brains, um, but also just physically, uh, they can defend multiple positions, even if Davis doesn't want to defend centers as much as maybe it would be ideal he would. Um, I, I had him fourth. So the shot blocking numbers this year were tremendous from him. Um, I think he's sort of a like Marcus Camby type defensive player of the year in that great block numbers. I think maybe his ultimate impact, though, has been a little overstated. Uh, and again, I don't want to say like, oh, Anthony Davis is like an overrated defender. I don't know if I want to go that far. <laughs> like, you know, his defensive PIPM, defensive RPM, they're all very impressive. He's up near the top of the league. He's not, he's not first. Um, but, you know, he, he's obviously had a tremendous defensive season. Lakers were third in defense. But the thing that, the thing that I just kind of struggle with, A, he's basically a center who refuses to play center because he doesn't want to defend big guys. So I feel like, just from a honor and respect perspective, you get a demerit for that. Um, and then secondly, I mean, I'm looking at the numbers on cleaning the glass. The Laker defense was better when he was on the bench. Yeah. Yeah. And, and That's I just, I one. just can't get over it. You know, and again, there's a noise in this, you know, the last few years, Pelicans were consistently better defensively as you would expect with Anthony Davis on the floor. So again, I'm not going to hear and tell you like, Oh, well actually secretly Anthony Davis doesn't actually help a defense. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not saying that, right. There's, there's always noise in these, these numbers. Um, and I think especially what you're seeing here, you're seeing here is that um, like we've seen with the Bucks, teams that play with traditional big men um, oftentimes, and especially in the regular season um, can be very good defensively. And I think that's part of what you're seeing with Anthony Davis when he was on the bench you know, you had Joel McGee, you had Dwight Howard, you had kind of traditional room protecting centers in there um, that the Lakers obviously were able to be successful with. Uh, and for whatever reason, they were not only successful, they were actually better than when they had Anthony Davis on the court. I mean, they were, again, 1.8 points per 100 better with uh, with Anthony Davis on the bench than with him on, in, in, on the court. And 
they were only 1.5 points per 100 better offensively with him on the court. So net net, you know, uh, cleaning the glass has him as a negative player in terms of <laughs> impact this year, which of course, you know, the last three years he was between nine and 10 points per 100 positive. Yeah, so yeah. again, a lot of noise in that, but look, this is a one season award. Um, and I think if, if looking at the numbers, I can't, I, I see this kind of glaring thing that says, man, as awesome as you are, you, you pass the eye test, you know, you can't be played off the floor like a traditional big man. You can do different stuff. The block numbers are great. Um, there's a, there's a ton here to love defensively. Um, but man, I, I just, I can't get over that. Um, in, in terms of being able to kind of put him a little bit higher, especially above the the top three guys I had. So I don't know any, any, um, any other thoughts on Anthony Davis and, and when you're done with that, I'm going to ask you to guess who my second and third guys were. Okay, so the interesting thing with some of the the comments you made, and I think there's some similarities when you consider the fact that the Lakers played a lot of lineups, as you pointed to, with JaVale McGee and also Dwight Howard. The Bucks, we know, play a lot of lineups with the Lopez twins. So uh, I think that Giannis and Davis, in some respects, play a similar uh, style defensively. They know that they have really, really top-line rim protection behind them and the interesting thing for for both those guys is that their blocks numbers and steal numbers have have been down to where they've been in previous years and I think a lot of that has to do with as you said the system and the guys they have around them so I I think that's why it's an interesting comparison for them and I know we'll dive into Giannis a little bit more after that Uh, in regards to who you had I I have three guys in mind well actually technically I have four guys in mind uh you're talking about a guy that potentially has gone for three Defensive Player of the Year awards in a row, Rudy Gobert. I have his name in the mix here. Another wild card I have that has got a lot of credit for his defense this year. We saw him specifically have a really strong night against Giannis. You can argue whether uh, it was all legal, but Bam Adebayo is one guy that I would have in there. Obviously, we, we spoke a lot about what Brook Lopez has been able to do defensively. And again, if you're going to throw a guard in there, maybe... I don't think you've got this guy. So, but look, all right, I don't even want to mention his name. So that, that's the three I want to pick for the two that you had: Brook Lopez, Bam, and Rudy Gobert. Is it? Have I have I got the two in those three? You have you have the two in there. Um, so, and you know, if you ask me this tomorrow, I might change the order a little bit. Because <laughs> whatever, I'm I'm not an actual voter. I'm, I'm put You're some thought to. into it. I've, I've, I've done some research, um, but I'm, I'm, I'm not going to claim, uh, you know, an unimpeachable uh, opinion on this. So I put Brooke third, Gobert second. Okay. And my rationale here, uh, I mean, both guys, incredible year shot blocking. Um, Brooke, obviously the argument is uh, the rim protection numbers. I mean, the bucks are just dominant in the rim protection data that obviously we've, we've talked about all year. Um, you know, Giannis, I think, and I, I haven't pulled it up today, but you know, Giannis, I think, as a number of folks may be, may be aware, that the top three in terms of um, you know, opponent field goal percentage around the rim all year was pretty much Giannis by a mile at first, followed by Brooke and Robin. <laughs> so uh, a lot of bucks, which partly is credit to obviously those players. Part of it also is just, just you know, system-wide wise, obviously it's not a coincidence that three bucks would, would be there together. But um, you know, earning those coach of the year, uh, high placements, uh, in, in part of that. But, um, 
you know, Rudy and Brooke are, are very close in, in a lot of ways. You know, you look at like the PIPM numbers, Brooke is actually uh, plus 3.73 defensive PIPM, uh, Rudy Gobert plus 3.43. Um, those guys, I think, I think they were second and third behind Giannis, I want to say. Um, so very close there. RPM strongly favors Gobert. Um, he's at 3.23, which is first in the league in defensive RPM. Um, Brooke was, was actually a ways down the list. He was seventh, about plus two. Um, and so a lot of it just kind of for me comes down to um, sort of maybe just trying to disentangle the, the player from the team and the kind of environment. Um, I mean, the Bucks obviously Brooke, again, deserves credit. He was the anchor of, uh, you know, an historically great defense. Gobert, I mean, the Jazz were only 11th, right? Yeah, that that yeah. to me is is the part that I struggle the most with. Um, you know, I thought about Kawhi Leonard as well. Again, if you ask me tomorrow, maybe I put Kawhi in the top three. Um, you know, he's obviously tremendous. Um, but with Gobert, again, I just think he's he's an anchor. And when even though the, the Jazz were not as great this year, um, you know, you look at the the kind of differentials. Um, they're there with Rudy, you know, they were seven points per 100 defensively better with him on the floor, obviously block shots, he rebounds. Um, and, and I think, I think the, 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 the issue obviously with him, which I think is disqualifying for him to win this year, um, is the fact that, uh, you know, we've seen, and again, like I, I hate to over index is like we the Rockets in particular have obviously really taken advantage of him in the playoffs as well as they had had some games in the regular season when they went small and, and really went at him uh, and were able to beat them and, and play at a high level against the Jazz. Uh, it's not like that's happening, happening every night or something something like that. Yeah. Um, but I do think, you know, he is a guy who can be who, – who, who's more liable to be exploited in that way than someone like Giannis or, or Davis or Kawhi uh, for that matter. So um, he's sort of the, you know, uh, the kind of throwback – you know, pure rim protecting center. Um, he's obviously extremely good at what he does. Um, but I, I just don't think, you know, it, this year, given especially the team performances that he merits winning it. And, and I think if anything, you know, I'm, I'm maybe being a little generous putting him at number two. So, um, so yeah, I, I don't know. Any, any other thoughts on that? I, I, bam. I'm glad you mentioned him. Obviously he's had a great year. Um, I think probably, probably we need to see, you know, a little more, um, you know, before he'll get, uh, you know, kind of maybe more serious defensive player of the year uh, consideration, considering kind of the competition that he's going up against. But obviously a guy that is is on a great trajectory for, for Miami where, um, you know, he's been able to defend centers. He's been able to switch. He does a lot of stuff that obviously is just super valuable. So, um, yeah, I don't know. Anything else or do you want to get into um, a certain guy that, that we're mm-hmm. picking to win defensive player of the year, which – I guess, and I know the Athletic recently had a straw poll that also had him number one. Um, I think I checked last week. Uh, I don't know how you know, sort of up to date these odds are. I think Amy Davis was still pretending to be the Vegas favorite, or at least in some of these online sports books, still had Davis as the having the advantage um, for DPOI. But um, it's been an incredible defensive year from Giannis, and and ironically, you pointed out. I mean, he's actually his his kind of stock numbers blocks and steals are actually yeah. down this year uh kind of you know not just with the minutes to, as well that's like yeah, yeah, yeah they're like, genuinely down yeah right they're generally down um but there's a lot of other things that he does and and a lot of stuff that again doesn't necessarily show up in, in a box score for sure 
that um, that merits why he's he's in this discussion. The first thing to to point out, and this is similar to when we were discussing the coach of the year, you have to look at history to tell you. Uh, what Giannis would be trying to do because I, I think you know most of the polls that we see and even the media polls with guys that are actually going to guys and girls that are actually going to be voting for that award uh, it, you know it's looking like Giannis is going to be a back-to-back MVP and when you consider the MVP defensive player of the year double only two guys have done it Jordan and Olajuwon <laughs> so let's 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 be real about this that this is not something that that happens uh, every year it's very very rare and the only guy has been able to pull off the the triple of also winning the finals MVP was Hakeem uh, with the Rockets. So uh, this is what Giannis is trying to do. He's trying to put his name with two of the all-time greats uh, of the game by winning the Defensive Player of the Year. The number that sticks out to me, and I I did I do want to give credit, I believe it was Dan Devine that, that wrote this uh, ringer piece that he went into great detail about uh, the specific numbers that, the guys, the candidates for Defensive Player of the Year have. There was one number that stood out to me because as we look at the the raw numbers with the blocks and the steals and generally categories that people look at and say, oh, he's a good defender. Look at that. He's getting three blocks per game. Uh, for Giannis, that has been down. We spoke about the differences in the way and in the styles and in their role within the defense. But the stat that came from that story that stood out to me, Anthony Davis, when he is directly defending someone, they're only shooting 38% from the field, which is just, I mean, incredible. I mean, when Davis tries to put the clamps down on you, he generally is pretty efficient at doing so. That's second in the league, uh, league-wide for that stat. There's only one guy that has a better percentage than him or a lower percentage for opponents, and that's Giannis at 36.1%. I mean, we've seen this, and uh, I think there was no better highlight or bigger highlight than in the All-Star game. And people say, well, it's an All-Star game, but we know... They were playing defense, and he's a couple of blocks that he had on LeBron. <laughs> the shot that LeBron just gets off over everyone. I mean, no one can defend that. Giannis was able to still get the block shot. This is the difference between these elite defenders. Uh, we can look at all the team stats. We can look at all those numbers from the group as a whole. But they, when individually these guys lock down, and when Giannis locks down defensively, uh, he's amazing to watch, and he's very, very difficult to score on. The other number that's interesting to me, and I'm, I'm sure you're going to get to his ability to defend the rim and defend the paint. We know the Bucks do this so well. Giannis has given up only 41.9% for, for opposition field goal attempts within six feet. The best on the Bucks, the Lopez twins, funnily enough, they're both tied at 44.1%. I, I, don't know, I don't know how that's possible, but it is. The only thing I will say that is worth noting there, uh, Brooke Lopez, 44.1%. He's defending 7.6 shots per game to Giannis only 3.6. So uh, that's probably, in fact, a, a nod to Brook Lopez at how good he has been protecting the rim. But uh, Giannis, when he gets, gets you one-on-one, when, he, when you're driving at him and trying to score near him, and a lot of the times we see guys completely back out. The, the one game I think about was that game in Toronto uh, just before, or a couple of weeks before the season shut down where I saw Pascal Siakam had a chance to drive and literally did not even want to attempt a shot with Giannis standing uh, in the paint. That's the type of effect he has on opposition defenders. The numbers sometimes are a little bit noisy and they're hard to really uh, look into and, and see what's real and what's not. But uh, I don't know if there's a better defender when you look at him from the eye test and say, this guy is completely changing 
what the opposition is trying to do out there like Giannis. It's incredible to watch. Yeah, I mean, in transition, I mean, people don't even, like you said, I mean, people yeah. don't want to even deal with them, right? Which I think is part of the story. Why is his block numbers uh, mm-hmm. are down is people don't even try, right? It's like the shutdown corner type type thing. So um, it, it's it's been obviously, you know, something that we see night in, night out. Um, and, uh, you know, even though he's not defending like the opponent's best player typically, um, the impact that he has is, is, I mean, it's very obvious. I mean, the, you know, the, the stat, I, I was mentioning some of the other guys, their stats uh, in terms of um, how much better is their team's defense with him on the court than off. I mean, the Bucks have a great defense, right? Like, you know, part of Giannis is probably um, biggest challenge in winning defensive player of the year is that you have Brooke Lopez, also a viable candidate to win this. <laughs> You've got, you know, the likes of Eric Bledsoe, who's uh, coming off an all defensive team nod. And there's a lot of guys that obviously have great defensive reputations on this team. Um, but you look at the Bucks, their defense with Giannis on the court this year, 11 points per 100 better than when he was on the bench. You know, it's not like their defense just completely falls apart when he's on the bench. They are just that much better, that much more, you know, historically elite uh, when he's on the floor than when he's not. And uh, so it's, it's, you know, he's just a handful on both ends. Right. And we normally think of it uh, obviously more of what he does offensively and how difficult he is to handle there. But um, yeah, defensively, he has been able to, you know, weaponize his incredible physical tools uh, in a way that, that obviously I think we all hoped that he might. And I mean, again, it's a weird season for it to happen, but it does feel like there is a very good chance, you know, with, I think just sort of the way that, that we've been seeing some of these straw pulls and things like that. Um, it does feel like there's a very good chance that, that he could pull off the double this year after nearly pulling off that MVP that's player yeah. of the year double last year. I, I didn't really think he was, I didn't think he was in a win last year when Rudy Gobert beat him to it this year. I do think, um, you know, again, just the kind of stars have aligned in a way uh, with the Bucks historically great defense, uh, historically great general performance this year, him being kind of, you know, again, just, so obviously, um, you know, ultimately the, the building block of that, right? Like, yeah, maybe you can go small and, and put the Bucks in positions where Brooke Lopez has a harder time being on the floor defensively. You can't do that with Giannis, right? Kind of like what I was saying with Anthony Davis as well. And, and that, again, just he is that, that weapon that you just – you can't do anything with. <laughs> you just hope that uh, guys hit jump shots because with Giannis as well as obviously Brooke and Robin, protecting uh, the basket area it's just just extremely extremely difficult okay so i i think we both agree Giannis is potentially on the path to to having a historic season I and mean, we already know for many reasons why it has been a historic campaign for him but the ability or uh, he's him going through and winning both the mvp and defensive player of the year as we said i mean this is just not something that has happened for a long long time certainly not since the early 90s with uh, hakeem so I think now I do want to get to the sixth man of the year, but I think we can slot in rookie of the year in between here. And unfortunately, this is one of the awards that the Bucks don't really have much involvement in, which is, uh, I mean, both the the course of, of being a really, really good team and, and also not having many draft picks. So uh, I, I don't know where you want to start with here. I mean, I think uh, for mine, Ja Moran has been the guy right through the season. We already mentioned... Uh, 
the Grizzlies and the job that Taylor Jenkins has done with that team. But Jabaran has been uh, absolutely must watch. A couple of the other rookies that stand out, the guys in Miami, obviously, with Kendrick Nunn uh, and Tyler Hero have, have been fantastic. And then, of course, I mean, uh, you talk about a guy being must watch. Uh, Zion Williamson with the Pelicans. He's come to the party very late. In some ways, it reminds us of when Malcolm Brogdon won Rookie of the Year with the with the Bucks. And the the only reason he won that, let's be real, was because Embiid d- didn't play enough games. I don't think there's any question that Zion, if he was playing a full season, would be Rookie of the Year and a tearaway uh, Rookie of the Year. It's it's been unbelievable. I was actually talking to someone a few days ago, and we were talking about games or moments. And this this would be a fun podcast topic actually but uh games or, or moments or individual performances where you always remember that individual game but not necessarily a result and this came up because steph curry the nba has been doing this nba live together uh live games and steph curry had 54 points at madison square garden uh, back in 2013 i believe it was and i remembered that performance and i remembered watching that and how incredible the shooting display was from him i completely forgot that the warriors actually lost that game to the knicks and when we were talking about this, I said that Zion's debut, his first game in the NBA for me, will, will definitely be that because he's the, the show that he put on in the fourth quarter, knocking down all those threes, it went from being an extremely underwhelming first game in the NBA after all the hype to one of the most incredible things I've ever seen. The Pelicans lost the game. And not one person gave a single shit that they lost the game because Zion just went absolutely berserk and it was unbelievable viewing. Yeah, I mean, my, you know a lot of this probably comes down to sort of philosophically, like how do you weight games played versus just being the yeah. best player? Um, I think rookie of the year to me is, is not a MVP of rookies award. If that makes sense. Like, I don't yeah. think you have to play, you know, uh, like I think with MVP, you need to play more games. You, you, you can't be, you know, just spectacular and, and then win it on, on the basis of that. I think with rookie of the year, um, it's more justifiable to do that. Uh, because again, like it's it's just I don't know, it's just a more fun award <laughs> to me. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, and, and again, most valuable is not in the in the name. Um, so yeah, I mean Zion right now is only at 19 games played, right? Which obviously is comically low, and to win it, <laughs> uh, even in a shortened season with 19 games, it seemed kind of comical. Um, I'll say this: if if he played the full complement of games, I think it would at least be a discussion. I th- I think it would be very fair. If, you know, you basically had the playoff race uh, and used it as essentially a uh, referendum between the, the Grizz uh, and the Pelicans and you know, whoever comes out on top gets the Rookie of the Year award or something like that. I think that would actually be a perfectly fair way to do it. Um, you know, I would have I would have picked um, Embiid over Brogdon the year that he won it because, again, it's just like, hey, as, as solid as Malcolm Brogdon was, like, is anybody excited about you know, giving rookie of the year to a really solid, <laughs> essentially role-playing, uh, you know, guard over a guy that, you know, if he had been healthy, would have been, you know, an all NBA caliber player. No, I don't, I don't, <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. That's sort of like, uh, feels like a fun police thing to, 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 you know, weight the games played that heavily. And again, I, I think it's, it's reasonable. I mean, that, that was obviously an extreme case as well um, with Brogdon versus, versus Embiid, but, um, you know, again, it, if we look back and say nobody thought that the guy that lost was going to be worse uh, than the guy that won, you know, as, as far as career-wise, then um, I don't know. I think we need to reconsider it a little bit, right? And again, I know it's not the who's the best prospect award, 
Um, but I think, I, I think that said, um, I think Morant has done enough. He hasn't just been good. He's been, yeah, he's been better than Brogdon in terms um, of the impact. He's yeah, had. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no question. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and, and I'd say Zion has probably been in a similar ballpark as Embiid was. Um, sure. and, and Zion also is, you know, he's 19, right? Embiid was coming off of two years of being yeah. injured. So he was older, had practiced, blah, blah, blah. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think Zion, um, is, is right up there sort of where Embiid was, but the big difference, um, is John Moran is, you know, he, he's showing us future all-star type productivity. Uh, and you know, a lot of rookies, they give you kind of the hollow stats. They're not efficient. You know, the team isn't good with them on the court, stuff like that. That hasn't been the case with John Morant, right? I mean, he's he's not putting up hollow stats or anything like that this year. Uh, and, uh, I mean, he just serves a ton of credit, I think, for for not just being ready to play at such a high level in the NBA as a rookie, but doing it in a way that has been consistent with winning, which, I mean, that to me is the, the mm-hmm. amazing part. Um, that's the part that very few rookies uh, can do, right? Lots, lots of rookies will put up stats, um, but to put up, you know, stats that are meaningful um is is really impressive so uh, yeah i'll i'd say jean morant kind of has to win it uh even if zion's peaks have been higher than than his um i think it's got to be jean morant uh right now and and again if (laughs) if in some alternate universe we saw this regular season finished out and uh the pelicans nip the the jiggers at least for the eighth seed then i think I, i wouldn't have a at least an issue with uh, putting putting Zion ahead of of Jean in, in the rookie year bout, but um, again, that's not a not a world I'm expecting to see, unfortunately. So my expectation is is certainly at this point that that Morant will win, and um, not sure how many more uh, times he will be acknowledged as having you know winning an award over uh, over Zion. So he may have to uh, you know really savor savor this one, but uh, I think he's deserved it at least. All right, so you can accuse Frank of a lot of things, but the fun police when it comes to the Rookie of the Year is not one of them. Uh, and also, just a nice little last little dig at Malcolm Brogdon. We also uh, are also totally fine with that on this podcast. <laughs> hey, Six Man of the Year is an interesting one, and I want to look at this from a different approach. So when you talk about guys that are potential candidates to win Six Man of the Year, I think that there is some discussion to have to think that what a buck a Milwaukee Buck player could be in that conversation. I want to get to that in a second. I think some of the other candidates for mine, obviously Dennis Schroeder has had a fantastic season with the, the Thunder, one of the surprise teams in the NBA. And then, of course, uh, you look over at the, the Clippers and they have the two perennial candidates in Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. I want to start with the Bucks, though. There's two guys for me that stand out that have been incredibly reliable and impactful players for the Bucks all season long. That's George Hill and Dante DiVincenzo. DiVincenzo has been a guy that has been the summoned, uh, summoned spot starter. Let me spit that out. And the Bucks team, when they have had injuries to guys like Bledsoe and Chris Milton, he's also slotted straight back to that familiar bench role. I mean, he's played that role for a long time, even right through college. It doesn't seem to bother him. He still is able to come in, and and he is he's an advanced stats darling i mean you, you see some of the numbers that come out with divincenzo and the bucks net rating defensive rating with him on the floor uh, he's right at the top of all those lists the other guy george hill the veteran the guy that i think in many respects his performance in the playoffs i've said this before how reliable he was his ability to hit big shots i think changed the course of the bucks summer a little bit when you think about letting uh malcolm brogdon go or organizing the sign and trade and also really really wanting to have 
the insurance for the playoffs in case things don't go uh, the way the Bucks would like. George Hill has, has come in. He's been healthy. We always talk about it. He wasn't that great in the regular season last year. Couldn't hit a shot. Uh, so far this season, George Hill averaging 9.6 points, three rebounds, three assists, 53-48-83 shooting splits. He's been simply incredible. So the question for you I have is, if the Bucs are to have a leading candidate in the six-man of the year, is it George Hill or Dante DiVincenzo? It's a great question. I mean, um, I, I think uh, I'll say this. I think the Bucs have been too deep and too capable yep. of withstanding uh, guys missing to, you know, have anybody be like a, you know, like actually win, win this award. Um, I mean, and I'll also say this, I think the award historically has been over-indexed on, on scoring, right? Like the Jamal Crawford winning all the award as many times as he did, you know, just basically it's like, all right, which six men scored the most points per game, right? I think that there's, there's historically been too much of a precedent for that. Um, Lou Williams obviously has, has benefited from that as well. Um, so it's, I, I don't want to, I mean, I, I like Dante and George Hill getting some some love in this category because yeah. they are not that right. They are they are not guys who just put up you know hollow points or or not even hollow points, but they're not just kind of gunners who just score and um, you know give it up on the other end. For instance, like a Williams, something like that. So um, you know, it's interesting. I, my first thought was the efficiency of Hill this year is just out of this world. I mean, <laughs> he's not doing this ever again. Right? I mean, I, yeah. I, I, I I mean, you mentioned it, right? We talked so much about the 50-40-90 this year for Chris Middleton, but um, for George Hill to be 53% from the field and 48% from three, I mean, like, obviously part of that is that he's picking his spots and he's not gunning shots up all the time. Uh, But that's tremendous. His scoring efficiency this year was off the charts. I think he, what was he at 68 or 69% true shooting? I mean, that's just, that's just a, silly number like that you people don't do that right like it's just crazy 67 percent, excuse me um you know really just a a tremendous uh season from from george hill and and i would say obviously you know his performance and, and dante i mean ironically both those guys together uh, i mean that's the biggest reason why i don't think you know the bucks have have in the regular season missed malcolm brogdon at all right those guys um the way that they've performed at such a high level um you know, in kind of off guard slash point guard roles, um, both of them typically coming off the bench, but, um, and, and then the flip side for Dante. So, so George, the Bucks were pretty much neutral um, in terms of point differential Hill on the floor versus Hill off the floor. Um, Dante is obviously the interesting guy because you, know, you mentioned Van stats, darling, um, you know, RPM PIPM um, has, has loved Dante all season. Um, Bucks have been six points per 100 better with him on the court than off. Um, you know, just in terms of raw, uh, plus minus, uh, second behind Giannis in that department. Uh, and, and again, lots of noise here just because the Bucks have everybody doing well in these, in these categories. Um, but there is just something about when Dante has been on the court that just good things happen. And, and defensively, he's everywhere. He's so disruptive in ways that you don't really expect. Um, a guy of his size to be um, steals, sure, uh, but also block shots, rebounds. Um, he's just a guy that is just a uh, a magnet for the ball, and um, it's been so exciting to see because, you know, as as you said, I mean, we were hoping that he was going to be healthy this year. That was really the yep. biggest, my biggest hope. Um, so for him to come out and um, have such a big positive impact and look like a, a long term piece 
will he be a starter? Eh, I don't know. We talked about that uh, a few weeks ago, what his kind of ultimate ceiling looks like. But, um, you know, he, he has this, this, a ceiling high enough that it could very much, you know, be a factor in helping the Bucks win or, or at least compete for a championship. And so, um, uh, you can't give him enough credit for, for the way that he came in this year and obviously put him past, uh, a rookie year that was obviously very start, stop, start with injuries. Um, if I was the pick, you know, I guess in, in to be true to the award name between those two, I guess I would go with Hill just because Dante started 22 games. So that's yeah. a huge number of starts relative to, um, you know, a six man award. I, again, I don't know um, that that should uh, uh, disqualify him because obviously it's not like he was playing 35 minutes a night when he was starting or something like that. But, you know, strictly speaking, he was, um, and again, it was typically because of injury, obviously not, not because he was just the outright starter, but um, I would say in the truest sense of the word, I guess I would lean toward George Hill, but there's obviously some very good arguments for Dante and, you know, both guys just massively, in, uh, you know, successful seasons um, in, in very different circumstances, given one is in his second year, very much up and coming. And, and George Hill, obviously the guy that um, surprised us by playing at a high level, despite getting, getting up there in age. Yeah. It's interesting, particularly looking at the advanced numbers with Dante, because you mentioned the starts and certainly on this Bucks team, if you have a bunch of starts, it's going to help uh, those categories because the starters have been so dominant, but that was always the case when he was, uh, coming off the, the bench as a reserve to start the season as well. Like you said, uh, generally when he's on the floor, good things start to happen. Uh, it's funny you talk about the efficiency of George Hill because I know that through the season, we spoke about it. We were like, how long can this last? He's shooting over 50% from three. So I have to take the opportunity to say, fuck Goran Dragic for kneeing him uh, straight in the nuts before the, the season ended because uh, you know that was, first of all, a very dirty play. And remember, George Hill missed a couple of games after that and he came back for that game at Phoenix, didn't hit a three. He was 0 for 2, 1 for 5 from the field. Missed the game at Denver along with absolutely everyone else. So, uh, you know, fortunately, uh, George Hill seems to be doing well now. We got a chance to, to speak to him yesterday, but that was, uh, that was a nasty blow. And uh, I always had this concern with George, and I'm like, man, I don't want him to get out of rhythm because he's shooting the ball so well. Uh, but an incredible season for him. And uh, the thing I love about George Hill, I mean, Dante obviously was unexpected the impact he's had on the team. But George Hill, uh, you know, is someone that is incredibly vital to the success of this team uh, when we know what uh, has gone down in the playoffs in the past. They're going to really need that guy uh, if the season comes back to, to play in those big moments. Although, uh, we've said, who knows what the playoff situation is like. Maybe there's no fans. Maybe that helps, helps certain players on this team. As far as a winner... The sixth man of the year, do you have? And I didn't really look into this a lot in terms of numbers with these other guys. I, I think I, I'm leaning towards probably Dennis Schroeder because, you know, again, I mean, I, I want to reward the Thunder for having a, a really impressive season to not only just sneak into the playoffs, but be, be a team uh, on the back of Schroeder coming off the bench, on the back of Chris Paul and his renaissance, Shea Gildas-Alexander, what he's been able to do, the big Kiwi, Stephen Adams. The Thunder are a really dangerous team. I don't think there's too many teams out there that would want to see them in the first round or or you know whatever, moving on from there. So I'd probably give it to Schroeder. It also, it's just a, maybe it's a bit of voter fatigue from the, from the guys out of the Clippers, particularly Lou Williams. I mean, they've been sensational as well, particularly Montrez for mine. Uh, he's one of the guys that I enjoy watching play. Uh, as much as anyone around the league. Yeah, I mean, I, I would 
I, I would probably shy away from Lou for kind of some of the reasons I mentioned, you know, being, um, a, a, I mean, as good as he is as a scorer, obviously he's, he's tremendous. He can carry a second unit. Um, and, and obviously he's a, a luxury to have uh, playing with, with Harrell and those running those pick and rolls um, off the bench and, and playing very, you know, very big minutes. I mean, they're, they're functionally like, like starters, obviously when you talk about crunch time in a lot of ways. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say Lou, I, I kind of disqualified just because, again, the, the numbers as far as, you know, are the Clippers actually better with him on the court or off the court, the RPM numbers, the PIPM, really not very flattering. I don't think they are six-man-of-the-year level numbers from from Lou, even though he continues to score at a super high level. Um, and with Harrell, I mean, I would put Harrell above him. Um, but, you know, Clippers were also basically even. They were no better with him on the court than off the court this year. Some of that's obviously just the fact that they're a very talented team. Um, but, you know, I, I don't know. I, I think they, they kind of um, cannibalize each other's votes a little bit, right? Um, which maybe I'm, I'm uh, you know, kind of conveniently picking my spots here where I'm saying they're cannibalizing, whereas Giannis <laughs> and, and Brooke Lopez didn't. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, um, but, yeah, I, I, I think Schroeder almost like by default because he, you know, he, you know, I think people may remember like the the three man combination of of Gilgis Alexander, Paul, and him. I think I think they finished the year as the the best three man lineup in the NBA. It's because it's basically like all these all these lineup combinations were basically the Bucks had all the best ones, mm-hmm. other than uh, Oklahoma City with um, their three guard lineups were just incredible, incredibly successful this year. Schroeder uh, scoring nineteen points a game. So if you know he he kind of ticks the um, you know, old school six man of the year boxes because he scored a lot this year. Um, you know, he does a lot of credit. He was by far had his most efficient sc- uh, scoring season of the year, 57% true shooting, career 52%. So really kind of grew in that regard. Um, and, and yeah, I mean, just was part of obviously a great story in Oklahoma City where it wasn't just hollow numbers that he was putting up. So um, yes, ironically, you know, Dennis Schroeder, a guy that, uh, well, Mike Budenholzer coached obviously in Atlanta, but also, uh, you know, was in the mix when the Bucks picked Giannis in 2013. Dennis Schroeder uh, was was in that discussion. He ended up going to Atlanta, and the Hawks obviously famously really wanted to get Giannis. So, um, yeah, Giannis will cruise to his second MVP most likely, maybe win a Defensive Player of the Year. But hey, at least Dennis Schroeder's getting a little bit of doing a little bit of something, right? <laughs> at least he may snag a, a Sixth Man of the Year, which. Uh, certainly is better than what a lot of uh, a lot of the guys in that 2013 draft class uh, managed to pull off. So I think Schroeder's a, a reasonable pick there. Um, you know, and, and the hardest part with this too is just, you know, just sort of quantifying impact um, for a lot of these guys, especially the guys who don't score as much, right? Um, I think that's always my my concern with, with this is that we, we put too much of a marker on, um, you know, did a guy score a lot? Uh, but I think uh, again, it's. Uh, I'll, I will say that I don't think either of us are going to lose much sleep over uh, over the six man of the year award. But uh, we at least get get to show a little bit of love to uh, to Dante and, and uh, George Hill. Whew. All right, we've got to the end of another week. I would say uh, we knocked off MVP last week, as I said today. Coach of the year, defensive player of the year, and also six man rookie of the year as well. I think we still want to go through the all NBA teams. I think that certainly has relevance to the Bucs. And also maybe we can uh, look at the case for our man, John Heist, 
to pick up the second consecutive executive of the year. I think that would be a pretty difficult uh, one to pull off, but we can still take a look at some of the moves the Bucks have made, what's worked, what hasn't. Uh, that'll be next week. Frank, I appreciate you coming on. Uh, as always, I, I always say, you got to ca- catch up with the shows on the on the network. And my guy, uh, also in Melbourne, Josh Lloyd, does a great job with the Locked On Fantasy podcast. Make sure you check that out. Uh, go back, listen to some of the, the fun guests we've had over the last couple of weeks. It's been a bunch of fun with George Carl, Darwin Ham, Dr. Dave was fantastic. Uh, we've, had a, we've had a bunch of different people on the podcast. It's been a lot of fun. We will be back next week. Frank, have a good weekend. Have a good weekend to all the listeners. And uh, we'll catch you next week.